There's just so much Holy Ghost. Praise God. I want to invite our next speaker, which really needs no introduction around Pentecost. But Brother John Shoemaker has been a friend of mine for many years. And uh, he's probably forgotten this, but he's actually preached. He's actually preached Summit more than a couple times. And the reason why we keep bringing him back is because he's a man of God. He's real. I want to tell you something. I thank God for real people in the 21st century. I didn't get saved to just be in some phony baloney. Dude, I was already in that way before I entered into a church. Brother John Shoemaker is pastoring a tremendous church in San Jose, California. He's a tremendous leader, great man of God, a great friend to the Northwest and to Cornerstone. Would you put your hands together under the Lord for the man of God as he comes in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's all just put our hands together again for what the Lord has already done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love you, God. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the word. Amen. Well, there's nobody in this building that is more uncomfortable with this place than I am right now. We've heard a tremendous word from the Lord. And if we left here right now, we could all emphatically say, God has spoken to us. And uh, for that, I'm very thankful. Thankful for the word of the Lord that encouraged me here today. But I, uh, I do feel such a, uh, a push to preach. And uh, somebody said it one time, I know it's been often said, but probably never truer than this. I recognize I'm the only thing standing between you and lunch. And uh, that is a dangerous place to be. (laughs) Now, if we were someplace else, it might not be that big of a deal. But there's nobody likes to eat more than Pentecostal people. So that's a dangerous place to be. If we were at an Amway meeting and said that, it'd be no big deal. But um, I recognize where I am and. But I also recognize my responsibility. And we heard Brother Millington say it. I'm obligated to do what God wants me to do. And uh, my prayer has been God help me to say it and to speak what's right and beneficial. Um, I look across this congregation. There are just so many tremendous preachers of the gospel. And uh, it is it is definitely an honor to be here and also um, it is a challenge because I feel the burden to convey uh, what God's put in my spirit and I've prayed and fasted for this meeting as I do often for meetings and sought God with 
much prayer. I was sharing with Brother Jackson this morning. I said, you know, I finally discovered that it's not hard getting a word from the Lord. It's God having a hard time getting me to preach what he told me to preach. And so all this wrestling wasn't anything more than me trying to get me down. So I would just do what I knew to do. And uh, so if the Lord will help me, I'm going to go forward. I'm um, going to give just a, a few remarks. Number one, I love Brother and Sister Mayo very much and love Cornerstone. Tremendous apostolic church and tremendous apostolic leaders. I've had the privilege of knowing Brother Mayo for many years, and I'm just going to list all the, 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 the things that I saw come through his life and where he is now. I've, I knew him when he was an apostolic painter, and then he was an apostolic evangelist. He's an apostolic pastor. He's an apostolic pilgrim. He's an apostolic, now he's an apostolic bishop. I don't know what order that all goes in. But uh, I really do love and appreciate them, and, uh, and I'm thankful for what God is doing here. I walked in here last night, and I'm telling you, there was such a spirit of encouragement and lifting in the sanctuary. If you're not in a good place now, something's wrong with you. This is a good place. Amen. It is 12 o'clock, and if the Lord will help me, I'll be done here by 3 so uh, that's my goal give myself a little window of opportunity um, I've, this is not new this message I've preached before I just was honored and privileged to preach uh, for Brother Jackson in Generate, Louisiana at his Bible conference and God had given me this message there I told him uh, last night when I saw him I said you know I'd I, I got the rest of the message when I got home. And then he started giving me a hard time. He said, oh, God, how long is it going to be? So I told him, I said, well, I've removed a lot of it. So I'm going to read my text and make my altar call. How's that? Matthew chapter 20, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 20. And for the sake of time, allow me to begin reading verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive." So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. In our economy, we would do it the other way. But there's a parable here that's being told us. There's a purpose and a plan to God's intention here. 
you can find that God always works out of the ordinary, even in the book of Genesis, because when he concludes each day, he says in the evening, in the morning were the first day, where we would say in the morning, in the evening, the tree said it means when chaos comes to order, it was the end of the first day. And here again, we find God in his divine providence. He says, I want you to pay them, but let's start with the last ones first and the first ones last. And when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house saying, this last have wrought but one hour. And thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? In thine eye evil because I am good? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called but few chosen. The Lord will help me for a little while today. I'm preaching from this thought, the 11th hour equality. The 11th hour equality. And I want you to lift your hands with me and let's pray and ask the Lord to help us here for a little bit this afternoon. God will give me the words to speak and the utterance to communicate. Let's ask that God would give us ears to hear in the remainder of this day session. Father, we seek your face, your favor, and your anointing. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, for what you're about to do. And the church said amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. It goes without saying that Jesus often ministers through parables. And he chooses parables to convey principles. He takes parables and he tells stories. He uses real-life figures. He uses real-life circumstance. And he puts them into a spiritual principle to convey something to us. He he oftentimes, as does this parable, he turns it all upside down. And it is not what we would expect or even what we would anticipate. Because again, he's not telling us a story with a proverbial Hollywood happy ending. He's telling us a story that will help us to understand how he works. And what his purpose and plan is. The story of the parable is that this parable is not to teach us that that God will take advantage of us. Or that he he will use us unjustly. But the story is told to tell us that God has a measurement in a form that he uses that we don't understand. But the thing that we get from parables is we learn three things. Number one, we learn spiritual lessons. We can find the second thing, religious principles. And the third thing we find is basic truths. But a parable teaches spiritual lessons, religious principles, and basic truth. 
And then if we looked at this particular parable, every parable has a beginning and an ending where the story starts and the story ends, but the message is to be lived out through all generations. And so if we were to look at the ancient form of literature where they wrote, they would call this the inclusio, which is where it starts and where it stops. And if you want to know where the parable starts, because our Bible is broken up into a legible and easily understood manner. And so they give it chapters and numbers and verses where we can break it all down. But there are oftentimes scriptural context spans a chapter. And all preachers of the gospel know this. And so we find that this parable doesn't begin in 20 and 1. It actually begins in 19. 19 and 30 and he says this but many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first and then he says the kingdom of heaven is like and he starts telling us and then we get all the way to the very end of the story and in verse 16 he repeats it so the last shall be first and the first last for many are called but few chosen And we use these terms, we try to use them in in, in different applications and analogies, but give me for just a few minutes here this afternoon to preach to you a few things that I think we're trying to be told out of this text. Number one, he's trying to teach us a spiritual lesson. He's trying to teach us religious principle. And we heard Brother Millick to talk about this. And he's trying to show us a basic truth. That he says, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. This is not about the way you want it done. This is the way I'm going to do it. My government's going to be my government. My church is going to be my church. My people are going to be my people. It's not your government, your church, or your people. It's all mine. Come on, you might as well shout it out with me on this morning and say, it's all his. I'm not an owner of anything. I'm a steward of everything. I don't possess one thing that God has not given me. That doesn't make me owner. If God gave it to me, that makes me a debtor. This story is about the importance of the vineyard. It's not about the people. It's about the vineyard. This story is about the need for labors in this vineyard. And this story is about God showing us that he will not surrender to our feelings or attitudes regarding his purpose. So this This is about the vineyard. This is about the need for labors. And this is about God saying, we're going to do it my way. And I'm going to do it exactly how I want to do it. And you really don't have a say-so in it. But I'm going to tell you right now, people don't like to hear that. That's why Paul deals with it. Particularly men start getting all bowed up. You start preaching hard in your church and all your men start kind of doing this. Getting, pho- getting phony text and heading for the foyer. That's why Paul talked about it, because he knew it wasn't any different in any day. He looked at him and he said, I would that men pray everywhere with holy hands. 
You lift them up and you do it like this without wrath and doubting. Don't argue and don't get mad about it. When I tell you to do something, you just do exactly what I told you to do. And you don't tell me how to be God. And you don't tell me how to make my people. I'm telling you today, we all need a revelation. This is about the kingdom of God. This isn't about me. This isn't about you. This is about him. This is God's church. You can be seated. I won't get off on this. You can do it however you want to do it, okay? I'm just going to tell you how I do it. Maybe I need to do it this way because maybe I have a problem with pride. I don't know. But you pull up to my church, you won't find my name anywhere except on the loan documents. Because it isn't my church. It's God's church. Are you ready? I may be the pastor, and I understand that role, and I understand that office, and I'm not afraid of it, but I'm going to tell you my attitude about it. I'm not proud. I'm not arrogant. I thank God that he found me, counted me worthy, and he called me into this ministry. This is a privilege, not a right. I don't deserve to be preaching today. I didn't earn this pulpit. God was great and merciful to me. This is an honor. This is a privilege. I'm going to tell all of you something. You're sitting on that pew right now. You're the luckiest people on the face of the earth. You're the most privileged people on the face of the earth. So don't tell me you own that pew. And don't tell me when you're going to get up and worship. When you're in the presence of God. You're in the house of God. You are a debtor. We are debtors. Get up and praise him. We are privileged to be here today. Let's do it for a second right now. Everybody just lift up your hand. Remind yourself. We're blessed to be here. Let me, let me just preach a minute. <laughs> no, but you know, I, I'm not going to that church. Bunch of hypocrites in there. Yeah, that's right, homeboy. Go hang out at the bar with all those genuine people. Yeah, why don't you just go stay home with all the liars and the cheats and the fornicators? Yeah, don't come to the house of God where God chose somebody to put them next to you to test your trust in his divine purpose. Give you the, some good advice before we move on. Shut up and worship. We're blessed to be here. I'm so blessed to feel what I feel right now. Amen. But you know, in this vineyard, we're dealing with some issues. You can be seated. We're dealing with some issues. Brother Jackson, I told you it's a little different this time. 
You know one of the things that's killing us in this vineyard? Not, listen, get this. It's not killing God, Brother Mayo. And it's not killing God's purpose. But it's killing God's people. You know what's killing us? The spirit of competitiveness. Somebody pulls up in the church parking lot with a new car. And you kind of pull your... Honey, as soon as church is over, we're heading to Toyota. I think they got one model up from that one. Now listen, I could deal with ministry stuff and I will in a minute. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't you think for a second that what I'm talking about is not universal. It affects everybody. If you're alive and you got a heart that's beating, I'm preaching to you. The spirit of competitiveness. Now, that's one expression of it. But did you know there's other kinds of competitiveness too? There's competitiveness between peers and pastors. There's competitiveness between young men that are trying to get there. There's competitiveness between young men and older men that they think don't know what they're doing. And there's competitiveness about older men looking down at younger men wondering why God's blessing them. Now I'm going to tell you something. I'm not a 20-year-old preacher and I'm not an old man, but I'm not a young man. And I prayed about saying this stuff and God said, I told you to say it. Thank you, Brother Milliton. We got to get our spirit right and we got to get that spirit of competitiveness out of the vineyard. We've got to eradicate it so that the work can go forward. Listen, Ecclesiastes, one generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. You think you're big cheese? You just walk out there and stand next to a 250-year-old sequoia. And it's seen more of you and forgotten more about you. And it's still here and it's dumb as a tree. Yeah. One generation comes up and another passes, but the earth is going to be here. That's the little story that Ecclesiastes is teaching us. If you want to mess around in your time to work in the vineyard, you're going to fade off the scene and God will raise up another one who will go in and get your harvest and their harvest. God's going to get his harvest. God's going to get his revival. And we're either going to get in there and say, this isn't about me. This is about the work of God. This is about the prosperity of the kingdom. competitiveness we are not here to fight each other you can sit down we are here we are here to prosper one another I sat down the other day and I'm not going to boast I'm just being honest I sat down with a group of young ministers and ministers some of them not even young but men anointed called of God in their rightful place and I'm sitting at a table of 14 and I told them this and I believe this. And when I say it, I, I, I don't just say it, I pray it by the townly. I say, brethren, 
if you don't do more than I did, I have failed you. Because my task in life is not, you, not to get you to repeat my life. There are some things that we've got to get some younger generations, give them a hand up. we got too many people want to see everybody go through the wilderness. Everybody's got to go through the wilderness for 40 years and you're not going to have a ministry. Oh no, I've come against tell you that God put me through the wilderness so I can take a younger man by the hand and say, let me lead you into the land of promise. You see, you're going to fight battles in the wilderness, but another generation had to fight battles in the promised land. You're going to get your stripes. You're going to get your spurs. God's going to make sure your generation gets it. I told our church the other day, I was using an analogy about this truth, and I said, listen, when it comes to this message, it's always a cross. You understand it's always a cross. We don't ever hand this precious message down to the unqualified. It's not vertical. It has to be transferred. But that means, and I'm going to tell some of you young men, quit trying to crawl up. Yeah, you heard me. Quit trying to crawl up and give yourself some credibility and some, some, some reputation. You need to just keep doing what God told you to do. You let God build your reputation. And when God's ready to pull you up, he'll put a hand out from your pastor. Your pastor's the only one that can pull you up. Hey, baby, if you don't got a pastor, you better find you one or you're never going anywhere. Let me finish this. Psalms. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how this earth stays and it comes and goes. Paul writes about it in 2 Timothy. And he writes in 2 Timothy and he tells them something. He says in 4, he says, listen, there's all kinds of stuff going on. I'm paraphrasing. That's not what Paul said. Paul wasn't that smooth. He was like, and thee and thou. But <laughs> no, he didn't because that's old King's English. That was after Paul. We wouldn't have understood Paul. He was probably speaking Greek. But he said, listen, all kinds of stuff's going on. You got to watch out. There's people around. You got to watch out. There's always going to be people around. There's always going to be people around that'll tell you there's another way to do it than what I'm preaching here. There's always going to be somebody rise up. There's always going to be a false prophet. Do you hear me? There's always been a false prophet. There will always be a false prophet. The, the problem is not we need to get rid of the false prophets. No, we need to get rid of our ego. We need to get rid of it being about us. And that way, whenever we hear from the man of God, we don't get confused. We know what the voice of God sounds like. He says, my day is passing. I've I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And then he goes on and he says, are you ready? It, this, this end game is not just for me. But he said, and all them also that love his appearing. 
you see there's a transition that takes place. Paul's handing the baton to Timothy and saying, Timothy, you got to do it. You got to carry it. And I'm telling you, I can see the end in sight. And I'm going to my reward. And if you'll just follow me as I follow Christ. There's one day you're going to get your reward also. <laughs> listen, there's no, listen. John wrote, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. There's nothing more encouraging than to hear the stories of revival out of a young minister. There's nothing more encouraging than to hear that somebody got the Holy Ghost on a Sunday morning in a Sunday school class. That's what we're trying to do right here. They're getting it. They're getting it. They're in the vineyard. The work is going on. God's kingdom is marching forward. Let me hurry. The second thing we got to battle. You ready for this? We've already got competitiveness covered. Let's talk about criticism. Oftentimes, we can be like the judges at a diving competition. Somebody gets up and does something, and we go, three. Why is it a three? Well, I wouldn't have done it like that. Okay, well, why else is it a three? They don't deserve a three. They're just getting started. Nobody can jump off this thing and get a 10 the first time. Yeah, but what if they do? I'm using a broad analogy to help us understand. We're oftentimes quick to jump on the sidelines and go, "Uh uh-huh. Let me talk about two sides to criticism since we talked about two sides to competitiveness. We're always talking about critiquing those that are succeeding Sometimes we're listening to the criticism of people who are leaving. So you got people succeeding getting criticized, and you got people leaving that are criticizing, and everybody's listening to all the critics, and then we wonder why. All of our babies are born stillborn. Let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have all the answers to anything, but I know a little bit about preaching and a little bit about pastoring. And I've been involved in pastoring since 1989. The first thing I learned in the first two years I was pastoring is, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. i got to get some help. And so I left pastoring and didn't go get all frustrated. I went and sat under my dad, which I'll tell you a story about my dad in a minute. I sat under him for six and a half years and just let him pound on me. Mercilessly. And then this is when I finally figured it out. This is the epiphany. I woke up one day and I said, I will never know what I'm doing. And God said, you're dismissed. So you start hanging out with somebody who's got all the answers. You start running with somebody who's got all the solutions. And well, if it just check their DNA, who's your daddy? Criticism. Are you ready for this? 
Luke 15 is another parable. You can be seated. I haven't even been going 28 minutes. Some of y'all are wanting me to stop right now. The good news is I probably only got about 20 good minutes left. But I'll take 40 just for the good mission. It's a parable about people under the same roof with the same father. And it's called the story of the prodigal son. And so... We all know how that story starts. One gets mad, stomps off, leaves, shakes his fist at the world, goes off and does his own thing, and then he comes back. And now you find out why he wasn't so comfortable at home. Because there is always two sides to every story. You know, Solomon said that. You don't ever sit down with one person and they tell you and you walk out and go, all right, here's my judgment. You got to (laughs) die. Because there's two sides to the story. Well, what'd they tell you? Enough. Yeah, so the prodigal story, the prodigal has two sides. And it's revealed because he comes back in verse 25 and he heard music and dancing. And then the next verse, he says, what, what do these things mean? What is all this? Let me just answer the homeboy knew what it meant. You know what the problem was? It wasn't the problem with the dancing and the partying that he was having trouble with. It was who they were dancing over. He was upset about who they were celebrating. Let's go back to Matthew 20 when he said, Is it any of your business if I pay the 11th hour a penny and I pay the first hour a penny? Listen, we don't tell God who to save. We don't tell God who to call home. You know what? I know we've all been through this. We've all had struggles. We've all had people do the church wrong. We've all had people done wrong. We've all had people leave screaming, trying to burn the building down. We've all had that, okay? That's not anything new, but we need to be careful when they have a change of heart. When they have a change of heart, we need to throw the door open and say, we still live at the same house. The dad is still the same dad. The farm is still the same farm. The God is still the same God. You come back home and we're going to party together because the father still loves you as much as he loves anybody. We've got to shake off the spirit of criticism. And this is what he says, verse 28. And he was angry and would not go in. Stop right there. I asked myself the question when I saw this. How many times have I been standing at the precipice of revival and didn't like the way it was being done? And God had to leave the revival and come out and humor his hard-headed son. Let me preach to you. How many times have you seen God move in your church and you go home a little miffed and bothered by it and the next service you're two rows further back and a little less reluctant to clap and shout 
And then God sends some preacher that just comes through and he preaches right to your address, walks in your living room, grabs you by the throat, and you come to the altar and pray back through. Let me ask us all a question. How much time is the householder losing in labor trying to convince us this is a worthwhile endeavor? We've got to be delivered from the spirit of criticism. You know what the father's response is in verse 31? He said, thou art ever with me. And all that I have is yours. You would have had this if you would have asked for it. But you don't have it because you didn't ask for it. You were too busy pointing fingers at somebody that you didn't like how it was going. Because you see, we've got to get over the fact that there is an 11th hour equality whether you and I want to like it or not. There are things that God's going to do that you and I may not like. But that's not my job to judge God. My job is to stay in the vineyard. My job is to keep right on working. If I don't like the method God's using, i got to keep my hand to the plow. I can't afford to look back and find myself unworthy of the kingdom come on shout it out with me this afternoon forward into the harvest I'm going to go forward I'm going to go forward can't afford to stop let me talk a little bit about vineyards you can be seated then I'm, I'm, I'm much closer to being done than when I started. You know, trees are planted with purpose. Farmers, I've never been a farmer. Let you in a little secret. I've never wanted to be one. If you're a farmer, God bless you. I don't want to be one. But farmers have purpose and plans and yes. they have methodology. Hallelujah. And, and they know things. I have cousins in Oklahoma. They were farmers and they were such good farmers that they sent their kids to college to get degrees in agriculture so they'd be, are you ready for this? Better farmers. <laughs> and there's methodology. They plant and they do it with purpose. In my, my area where I live in, there's orchards. And the trees are planted on purpose for a reason. Long before anybody ever goes and works and harvests out of that orchard, there was many years of that growing. And then them pruning them. And then them growing a little. And then one day, they begin to produce and you see people in there laboring and picking fruit. Believe it or not, man has never gotten smart enough to develop a machine that picks fruit from a tree. Because I think that's God's sense of humor. <laughs> Saying, no, there's a few things you're going to have to stay at it. You're not going to find an easier way to build a church than hard work.
Brother Galindo, we just get up early. We stay up late. We pray long hours. We go home exhausted. And God blesses all of our little menial efforts. And somebody still gets the Holy Ghost. And somebody still gets a greater revelation. And God still blesses somebody financially. And he does it in spite of us. Not because of us. You know, I found out, I found this out because I knew somebody did this. They decided they wanted cherries, bean cherries. Anybody ever bean cherry, ever eaten a bean cherry? Yeah. If you haven't, you should slap your neighbor if that hasn't either apologized to each other for not having cherry, ever eaten a bean cherry. A bean cherry in the peak of season is one of the best tasting fruits. But I had a friend who wanted bean cherries, so they planted a cherry tree because they thought, are you ready for this? Hang on to the analogy for a second. They planted the tree thinking, all you got to do is put the tree in the ground. And then when it grows up and it gets a little big, you're just going to have cherries. Except they didn't do any research. Every being cherry tree that produces has a different kind of cherry tree not very far away from it. Which causes it to be fertile. Because if you plant an individual cherry tree, you just get a cherry tree. You don't get any cherries because even a tree takes something vastly different from it in order to produce. Let me talk to you about how God causes us to produce. Early this morning, I don't say this very often, I'm not one of these kind of people, but I was, I don't even really know what time it was. I didn't look at the clock, but I know it was still dark. I just came awake and God started talking to me and he explained something, Sister Mayo, that happened to me a long time ago. My dad and I, and I love him, I almost texted him and said, hey, you might want to tune into Holy Ghost Radio, fly up your version of the story if you feel to. (laughs) But it's not really a story about him, it's a story about me and him. In April the 4th, when God explained some things that I've lived longer than I didn't with questions about. And God woke me up early this morning and said, you know the reason why you and your father didn't get along and you never had a relationship till you were almost 27 years old? Because... He chose to be my pastor and not my father. And so in those intervening years, he would never let up on me. And my father and I hardly had, we didn't argue because I'm smart enough to not argue with my pastor. (laughs) I don't look smart, but I'm that smart. And whatever he says, I may talk to myself when he's not around while I'm doing what he told me to do. That's the way that goes. I don't want to polish the platform. Yeah, a shop back before they were cool, plastic, and light. I want you to go in the sanctuary. I want you to vacuum every one of the pews. And I'm like, but I thought I was called to preach. You are. Vacuum the pews. 
with a first-generation shop vac that I'm sure is in the Smithsonian somewhere. The tube is about an inch in diameter. And I don't know if you noticed your pews, but they're bigger than that. And this is his instructions. I want you to go vacuum all the pews in the sanctuary. And I don't want you to leave a bobby pin, a stray hair, a piece of food, or anything down in the cracks. And here I am going, this is stupid. But I'm going... Because what you want is a daddy who will go, I love you, son. Let's hire some janitors. But what you need is a pastor that says, shut up. Go vacuum the pews. And in 50 years, come talk to me about what you know about it. And I can say on this day that I've, the devil tried to tell me I lost years of relationship with my father. And what I found is I had the best dad on the face of the earth. Because the hardest thing he ever did was be my pastor. And I guarantee you only eternity will tell and he's not here to talk. But the nights that he went to his room and cried because he had to be my pastor and he couldn't be my dad. You see, everybody needs friction and if you're if you're released from friction you better be terrified because there was nothing sharpening you the bible said it's iron on iron that sharpens not because it's peaceful but because it's resistant one to another if all you do is find people that tell you yes tell you they love you tell you they're they never look at you and say that's stupid don't do that That'll be the biggest mistake you've ever made if you go there. You don't want to go there. You don't want to say that. Come on, brother, go there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes you look at them. What you want to say is, I love you, go. But you got to say, no, I love you too much to say yes. I'm going to do the hard thing, and I'm going to love you. You don't have to say no. You, You need the friction because this vineyard is about producing. And if you are dull, you are no help. The harvester harvests wheat because the stake is sharp as a razor. And you're never going to produce what you could if you're always avoiding the voice of friction. All of you good people that love God come to this church every week, go to your church every week, in and out. Amen, your pastor. Amen, everything he preaches. You do things he doesn't want you to, that you don't want to do when he wants you to do them, and you just keep doing it. You just listen to me right now. You're not getting worn down. You're getting sharpened up. There may be some things leaving you, but it's not something you needed. It's the will of God that you just sit there and say, come on, pastor, preach to me. Preach, my marriage is not where it should be, but I know that if you'll just keep on preaching... This one day my home is going to be filled with all the blessings of a godly marriage. Let me hurry. Let me tell you something. When you get to the vineyard, don't forget how you got to the vineyard. We don't get to the vineyard because we're special. We get to the vineyard because God is merciful. 
And when you get to the vineyard, don't allow the enemy to ever get you looking at other labors. You see, the vineyard labor is not age specific. All of you stop for a second. Don't let your minds run down this road where I'm preaching a first hour labor and a last hour labor as being the old generation and the young generation because there are some of that, those components in this message. But I'm going to tell you something. There are some of us that are laboring in the vineyard together that are not of the same age and they are not my peers and they are not my contemporaries. They are my elders. And I'm preaching the same conference as Brother Bass, but he ain't my buddy, and I don't call him Wade. This is Brother Bass, and when he walks up to me and tells me something, we may be one, we may be one row away in trees, but when that elder speaks into my life, is not my adversary he is my asset and he's been doing this he's been doing it longer than I've been doing it and brother go there I want an elder to speak into my life I want somebody to tell me hey you can do it easier and more effective if you do it like this I'll tell you a story sit down years ago I was carrying hot for block layers the block layer was bigger than me bigger hulking guy and the other block layer was about 63. And he was about this big around. And so me and this other guy have been working together. And we decided one day, hey, let's have a competition. And we're going to go over here and we're going to finish this wall before they finish that wall. And so we told him, this older guy, we said, hey, we're going to give you two hide carriers. And I'm going to go over and work with the other guy. And we're just going to see who can lay more blocks. And he just kind of looks, he's like, all right. We went off. I'm telling you, we threw down some block. I was hoofing and huffing, shaking mortar and grabbing steel and cutting block. And he was laying and he was pulling string and we were going and he was kissing like a rap group. He was like, we were working, working, working. We got done and we were like, oh, dude, we wasted them. We went to lunch. We were like, so how many did you get done? He said, same as I always do. We said, then we won. He said, we'll see you about three o'clock. No, he won. Because about three o'clock, me and the other block there were like. We still got three hours to go. That old man don't know what he's doing. You better back up, Jack. He's forgotten more than you know. You say that, well, if we just get that old man out of the way, we could have revival. You get that old man out of the way and everything's going to fall down around your ears. We're fellow laborers. Brother Mayo, you and I are friends. Yes, we are. And I, and, I, and, and, I, and I count you as a friend. You've called me and encouraged me, and I hope I've done the same to you. But I want to tell you publicly, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you and Sister Mayo. Thank you. And as a friend, 
that allows you to speak things to me sometimes that guess what? I don't like it. But I respect his walk with God enough to not sit around and start using the wrong lines of measurement. You see this vineyard? You got to keep your attitude straight. And I'm hurrying to a close. Don't stop to criticize those that came into the vineyard before you were called. Let me say it again. Don't stop to criticize those that have been working in the vineyard longer than you have. Because if you criticize them, you had to stop. And if you stop, the work ceases. And you know, when we're invited to work, the other laborers, they are not our competition. Brother Bass, you said it. You know what our competition is? The setting sun. As it slips over the horizon and we see the daylight hours waning. And we remember in the back of our spirit the scripture that says, you've got to work while it's day because there's coming an hour when no man can work. And instead of us looking around saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? We need to be looking around saying, what can I do? God, how can, how can, what, can you, what can I do for you? How hard, God, please use me. If you, can, if you can use anything, God, use me. God, if you can, I don't know what I've got, but you just take it, use it, because I don't want to waste time in this last 11th hour arguing about who's right and wrong. There's a setting sun. There's a setting sun. There's a setting sun. Matthew 11. I'm, musicians come. Matthew 11, 16 and 17. They told him, they said, Jesus told him, he said, this generation, let me tell you what this one's like. This generation you're dealing with, they came and they said, hey, we played music and you, you didn't dance. We, we sang it. You, you, won't, you won't, are you ready for this? You won't play any of our games. Let me just give you a word from the Lord today to every saint of God in the building. Don't get tricked into playing marketplace games with a generation that doesn't care about eternity. Why are you dancing? Because somebody was playing tunes. There's sometimes you got to put your feet down and plant them solidly and say, I'm going nowhere. I'm going to work till the sun goes down. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to count it a privilege to do what I'm doing. And I'm not leaving. What we need is a fresh baptism of the spirit of Nehemiah. They came and said, let's, let's talk. No. Why should I come down and talk to you? I have to stop working. Well, okay. And then they sent letters and they said, he's just out building this for his own ego. Somebody said, you better go talk to them. He said, "Mm, why should I quit? Why should I quit working to go talk? It's not true. And only time's going to tell it. 
Not me running to my defense and somebody losing their soul and going to hell. And then they said, brother, you better run and hide yourself in the tabernacle. They're going to come kill you. He said, let them come. They'll find me right here building a wall. The spirit of the... The spirit of Nehemiah never stops working. The spirit of Nehemiah never answers its critics. The spirit of Nehemiah never argues. The spirit of Nehemiah never stops working. The spirit of Nehemiah says, I've been called in this last hour. I'm going to preach to an 11th hour church. Our biggest problem is not each other. Our biggest problem is the setting sun. We've got to be about the Father's business. We've got to be about the Father's business. Somebody's got to go to work. If you go to 2 Chronicles 29 and 31, it's Hezekiah rededicating the temple. And this paraphrase, you can read it later on your own. But they paraphrase it. And it says, Nehemiah says, and after this they consecrated themselves. And then they all, they all went to the house of God and worshiped and praised they consecrated everybody say consecrated and then they went to church we say we come to church to consecrate but that word jumped out at me brother bass why would they consecrate and then go to church i thought you went to church to consecrate until you look at the definition of the words which means they filled their hand You know what part of our problem is? The reason why we are able to argue and fuss and criticize other people is we're coming to church with empty hands. We've done nothing since the last service. Some people haven't had a prayer meeting, haven't read your Bible, haven't told anybody how fortunate you are. I like what Brother Dave Wilson says. He says, I'm just a beggar telling other beggars beggars where I found bread. problem's not our vineyard could it be the problem is how we're coming to church we're coming with empty hands all over this building right now please don't get caught up in the moment and the emotionalism and the response to preaching I want you to hear my cry today could I get some people in this building that would lift up their hands at the end of this service and lift up your voice towards heaven and say God by your grace and with your help I will never return to your house to worship with an empty hand again. I'm going to go work in the vineyard. Come on, all over this building, would you just lift up your hands? I'm not coming back with empty hands. Anybody want to make a fresh consecration to the householder and the Lord of the vineyard? Anybody want to make a fresh dedication to working for the master? I want you to get out of your seat right now. Just come and stand in the presence of God with uplifted hands, uplifted voice, uplifted spirit. That's what I'll be.